Hello there, Blue Jays sports fans. Welcome to the 26th episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. I am your host, Bryant Ott, Creighton Otter at whiteandbluereview.com. And joining me tonight for episode number 26 is Joey Tempo and Matt DeMarinas. This is the Blue Jays Bites podcast sponsored by Lawler's Custom Sportswear. Big shout out to Lawler's uh, for, for sponsoring what promises to be a jam-packed episode tonight. Lots to talk about, boys. We're going to get to a 20-plus minute interview with Kirsten Bernthal-Booth, the head coach of Creighton Volleyball. And we're also going to talk in-depth about the Creighton Blue Jays baseball team, which picked up the Big East regular season championship over the weekend and hosts the 2017 Big East baseball tournament this week. But first, we'd be remiss if we didn't jump into the sport and uh, the – the, the action that everybody is most interested in and that we have a little bit of movement on uh, since we last podcasted, uh, Greg McDermott's men's basketball program. So, Joey, we've got you on the show. Matt D., we got you on the show. Want to talk a little bit about recruiting. Want to talk a little bit about guys that have just recently left the program. Talk about some games coming up on the schedule for the upcoming season. Uh, I'll stop talking. Welcome to the podcast again, guys. Glad to have you back. Glad to be back. All right. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Okay. So, Joey, we're going to start with you first. Uh, last podcast, we talked a lot about some of the targets for Mac and his program as we entered this um, this sec- section or segment of the recruiting season. We've got a couple scholarships yet to fill, and there's been really no news on um, commitments or anything like that since we last podcasted. So, we were talking a little bit off the air. Thought this would be a good way to start the show. Is it no news is good news? Is it no news is bad news? Or is it no news is just no news because of how things fall at this time frame um, with the uh, with the uh, return uh, deadline entry deadline for the NBA coming up in a couple of days? Just kind of set the stage for what Jays fans should be expecting and kind of how things are going right now f- on the recruiting front. Well, I think it depends, depending on who you're talking about, when you talk about the no news front. I think with regards to Brian Bowen, uh, the no news is probably good news for Creighton. Um, a lot of teams have kind of swooped in as of late. A lot of analysts think Oregon, DePaul, um, maybe are the, the the hot picks or the trendy picks for where Tugs Bowen would end up. And the fact that he's uh, obviously visited DePaul, as we know, in February, March, I think it was February or January. He visited DePaul a while ago. He's pretty comfortable with that 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 uh, school. Um, and then hiring his uh, high school coach, um, you would have thought that if uh, they were a package deal, that uh, Tugs Bone probably would have committed uh, along with Tiger Campbell back when he committed a couple weeks ago. And so while DePaul still remains a legitimate landing spot for him, I just think that um, he's not sold on them, uh, as he's obviously not sold on any of his finalists uh, that he had uh, listed back in December. Um, and then with Oregon, you know, he uh, the last time we had podcast, he had officially visited, uh, or excuse me, unofficially visited Oregon. Uh, and there's been a lot of rumors going around there that uh, they're uh, a likely landing spot. Uh, school-wise, uh, system-wise, you know, he probably would be a pretty good fit for Dana Altman. Uh, he'd definitely be a good fit for a, a school like Oregon, a conference like the Pac-12, uh, a brand like Nike. Uh, that's definitely something that I'm sure appeals to him, uh, that whole package. But again, uh, if, if he was sold on 
um, that school. Uh, he probably would have committed uh, before, uh, you know, before today, or we probably would already have news on him. So um, the fact that uh, he's still mulling things over means that he's deciding between some factors uh, as we continue to move on in, in May. Uh, these spots get taken and these, uh, as we talked about last time, the dominoes continue to fall and schools uh, are going to start dropping out of uh, the, the race for him. Uh, and he obviously has some plan in mind of, of uh, being one of the last uh, players out there or most desirable players out there. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess, at this point, if more teams started to get involved who are looking at a player like him with really nothing to lose if they have open scholarships um, and so, um, really, for, for Creighton with him, uh, I think that the fact that uh, he hasn't committed to another school is probably good news at this point. Um, because, so, uh, I, have, I have a question about Bowen or just like a general. You thoughts, in the like, corner, Matt D. You in the corner. Put your hand up. <laughs> Hello. Um, <laughs> so, the thing is, uh, all the things you just listed about Oregon also apply to Creighton, like Nike system conference and things like that like i feel like if he was gonna go to oregon and again he who knows what he's thinking but i mean i feel like that he was visiting at the perfect time to kind of pull the trigger you know what i mean and i feel like he's just doing his due diligence on just you know making sure he's looking at all of his options you know even ones he probably hadn't considered very much prior to this stage of the stage of the game i still feel like creighton is a I know everybody kind of freaks out about 247 or whatever it is, 24-7. And, um, because, like, their predictions are all recent. There's a lot of recency bias with their predictions, aren't there? Like, yeah. If, uh, I, I, would, I would say one of, the, one of the more promising aspects to Tugs Bowen right now is the fact that 24-7 has us listed as one of the least likely places for him to go. Not joking that, <laughs> not joking that they're not good but, or not accurate, which they're not all the time, but the people who are connected in the business, uh, Jerry Meyer specifically over there, the guy that helps run that site, he's probably one of the more connected people with recruiting in the country, and he has maintained – that Creighton has a legit shot at landing him. So he obviously has sources within within the Tugs Bowen camp because he's probably not going off of what Creighton's telling him. He's probably going mm-hmm. off of something that's in Tugs Bowen's camp as that uh, Creighton still has a legit shot at landing him. And he said that over and over again. So yeah, the fact the that thing. he that guy, has – citing sources. He's not just guessing, you know what I mean? So yeah. that feels like it's more, know, uh, there's more – there's more smoke there than people maybe should – 100% you know, agree. Should give credit than the and, predictions, you know what I mean? And let's let's not you know put his word as gospel. You know he's still trying to decipher the tea leaves like we all are. But the fact that he's maintained throughout all these different visits, all these different hirings, and and players coming back, that Creighton has a good shot at landing him. I think that uh you know it, it it'll it'll it's a test of wills for these coaches to make sure they're not gonna you know chicken out you know and 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 hand a scholarship that's reserved for him and, and go somewhere else. You know, um, we talked a lot about Arizona last time and they were probably, I would say the, the leaders for his service. And if Arizona would have had more guys leave for the NBA, I think he would have been an Arizona wildcat. I think it's widely assumed that they were the leaders for uh, landing him. The fact that they got some of their players back, obviously uh, if I was Sean Miller, I'd rather have, uh, a junior Alonzo Trier and a sophomore Raleigh Alkins on my team than Brian Bowen makes no right. uh, sense to take a freshman over two experienced 
um, you know, players of their caliber who are also five-star players. And so they, they went out in this deal, you know, and, and, and as time goes by, it, it'll be interesting to see if Oregon uh, or DePaul have the patience to uh, leave scholarships open. You know, I, I know Dana always liked to keep a scholarship open uh, for things like this. So I don't think Oregon will fill his, his ride. And let's be honest, DePaul probably has <laughs> not, not, not a lot of better options at this point. Not because, they're DePaul's been waiting desire. for like 15 years. I mean, yeah, like, they, 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 they can afford to wait. They don't, have, <laughs> they don't have any. They don't have any recruits on the radar where that are even going to come close to matching. They're uh, just hoping like he'll show up and help like finish the building that they're building. Like they need help there too, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But that, that's that's where things get dicey for Creighton, and I'm sure we'll kind of transition this tugs talk um, about well where's Creighton's head at with this because we've seen that Creighton and I've heard that Creighton's willing to stick out Bowen and that they will have a ride for him until he commits uh, to to them or to another school Um, and we've talked a lot about uh, the fact that it's not a huge deal to wait for tugs unless you're losing out on other players and we're getting close to that point where Creighton might be losing out to other targets if they continue to wait for Tugs Bowen, uh, specifically the, the transfers from UMass, uh, Giroux and Gresham. Uh, they're, they're likely... My one my one point about of that is where I, I agree with what you're saying as far as missing out on those two. Um, but the reason I think it's, it's a, a worthy risk for Creighton to wait for Bowen is because, A, I don't think it's panic mode if you have an open scholarship or two. I think that's kind of the norm nowadays. It was kind of funny because people assume that if you have two or three open spots that you're kind of a program that's trending downward. And really that's like kind of what everybody does now. So, I mean, I don't see that as a big red flag if Creighton has a couple open spots, you know, when they, when it's time to start fall camp. But the reason I think that leaving the line out in the water for Bowen helps is because the two players that might fill up their scholarship allotment won't play next year. They'll be sit ones, you know, play three guys. So I feel like if you're not going to have anybody who's going to play next year anyway and you're waiting on a guy who will, I feel like it's worth the risk to wait for the guy who will, even if you have to, even if you end up losing out on the players that would sit next year anyway. Because let's face it, Creighton fans aren't going to judge next year's performance on, you know, they're not going to, like, with Marcus Foster being a senior and Kyrie Thomas being a, a junior, they're not going to be like, well, you know, let's give Mac a transition year that they're not a patient fan base at this point. They want results. So, I mean, if you've you got two guys, Creighton could, could, not gonna hear. could could Creighton well, compete for a top four finish with the roster they have as of right now, without tugs, without waters, without the transfers. I mean, with what they have right now, the 11 scholarship guys, could they compete for a top four place? I believe so. I think there's a lot of talent on that roster. What do you think? Yeah, I do. I mean, I've been really looking at some of the other rosters going into next year, and, and Angel Delgado coming back for Seton Hall changes things up a lot because I think if they would have lost him, I think they would have taken a big step back. I think some of their the Rodriguez, Carrington, I think they would have been asked to do a lot, and that would have been tough. And so I think getting Delgado back puts them squarely in the mix as a top three team easily. And I think that you know, um, you know, anywhere between two and eight. I think it's pretty much interchangeable just looking at the roster. I mean, the Butler loses a, a lot, but they get a lot coming back. You know, I think there's two obvious poor teams next year, and that's Georgetown, who is just depleted at this point still and kind of still grasping for straws for players. And DePaul mm-hmm. 
has some interesting pieces coming in. And if you add Tugs Bowen to that mix, uh, they easily join the conversation of a team that could easily not play on uh, a play-in day uh, for the Big East tournament. So at that point, you're looking anywhere from two to nine being a kind of a legit squad to make the NCAA tournament, in my opinion, based on rosters and no injuries and things like that. And so that's where I agree with you, you know, saving a scholarship for a mid-year transfer or something that pops up. I, I always have liked that idea. I just don't mm-hmm. think you're going to get a player mid-season to transfer in like a Luke Fisher or an Olaje from SMU who transferred out of Duke his, uh, during the winter semester. The, the players that you're looking at right now in Giroux and Gresham, I mean, those those guys are really good players that I don't think you could pass on if you're Creighton. And so it's really going to test their wheels. And I'm sure they're really making that pitch to Bowen right now of we can't wait forever right now. We have players that we really want to pursue, and they would take your spot if we went to, 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 to sign those guys. I think this is going to be an interesting week just because the, you know, the early entry draft deadline is Wednesday. Exactly. And, yeah. I mean, Arizona's already filled it up. Like, there's just not many options left on the table that he was already considering. Well, unless he really wants to drag out the recruitment to the fall where he opens things up to say like a Duke who has openings or, you know, a North Carolina who's still out there recruiting, you know, I, I, unless he wants really one of the blue bloods to get into the mix, like the Kentucky Duke or Carolinas, I don't think we're going to be waiting very much longer. Let's face it. There's not many top 100 guys still out there. It's kind of funny that Creighton's in on two of the three of them, but I yeah. mean, there's just not that many options left. And I feel like he's going to, pulled it i mean he's got to be getting close to a decision i think yeah you guys alluded to tremont waters where where are things with him right now well if if things are kind of quiet with um bowen things are definitely silent with waters i mean he did a couple all-star games and did a couple interviews during those times and was kind of tossing names of teams out there that people would think he had uh thought he had kind of like whittled down on about four teams or so and ever since those All-Star games, it's been no no news whatsoever uh, with him. And if we're talking, what kind of news does that mean for Creighton? That means no news is no news. So, we, we, you know, I, I think uh, one of the last updates I had heard or, or read was that there was other schools that are starting to get involved with uh, Tremont Waters. Remember the last oh. time we had talked, we were talking about Duke. Uh, and if they did not get Duval, they might turn to Waters, who was a Duke fan and that might be the route they went to get some point guard help next year for after losing, uh, uh, what is it? Frank Jackson down there. So, um, they Duke obviously got Duval. Um, waters is kind of up in the air and I've actually heard that, um, there's other big East schools getting involved with, uh, Trey Mount waters at this point. I've actually heard Seton hall was kind of poking around to see what his interest was with, uh, uh with them. And, uh, from that standpoint, I think that's a good thing for Creighton. If, uh, Seton hall, is looking at a kid like Tremont Waters or another Big East school is looking at him, then obviously these these you know letter of intent laws are something that more teams feel like they could uh, uh, coerce. And so I think for Creighton, who uh, has been pitching him for a while, uh, if if other teams are thinking they can get around those laws too, then that that bodes well for Creighton if they wanted to get him. Um, and again, he is an excellent player too. And it seems like a lot of his top contenders early on are dropping off too. I mean. It doesn't sound like Georgetown's a player, even though they're still trying to have dialogue with him. It sounds like he's pretty good. I mean, they got – yeah, I mean, God, they have shots. So if he wants to go in there and get the ball mm-hmm. and be a main focal part of a of a historic program, uh, then yeah. then 
that's a good fit. And I think that they're a really good fit. I just don't know how many bridges were burned between the school and him. And, uh, you know, it's impossible to tell, Uh, but I feel like that would be a natural fit for somebody like him to go into a prestigious school like Georgetown. He's a great student. It's a great university. They have uh, a new coach, you know, who's got NBA ties who could plug him into NBA scouts and people uh, because that's what he wants to do. Uh, Then I just, that seems like a natural fit, but it just does not seem like that he's all that keen on Georgetown, which is, which is fine. Uh, and then I. Western Kentucky. And other... <laughs> yeah, I mean, in on him and Western Kentucky signed two point guard or a transfer point guard. And they've got another signee too that plays in the backcourt. So they're, they're out in my, they have no scholarships and they filled a point guard role, even though they had a decent point guard coming in next year too, from Buffalo a transfer. Mm-hmm. So I think they're out. Uh, UConn has still totally plenty agree. of, plenty of room at UConn. And uh, I think that they're a major player. Uh, hometown team um but uh you know he's he's been around that program a lot and if you if he liked them uh you think that he would have pulled the trigger at this point so he left yeah because that's to me you talk about blue blood schools i mean i know exactly. that doesn't go all the way back but like i would consider uconn to be a blue blood school especially when you think agree. about the last 30 to 40 years of college hoops so you think about that and you think about he has close proximity to that like yeah, if you like that school and you want to play, the, I mean, they won a national championship what like three years yeah. ago. I mean, come on, four years and ago. I think, the, I think the thing that um, UConn probably is all the roster turnover they've had. I mean, it's not. A, I wouldn't call it a stable situation. I mean, they're it's not like they're void of talent altogether, but they certainly have had a lot of influx in and out. And like, I mean, he's from there, so I mean, he knows UConn's deal. Like. If he were to, if he were seriously considering them, which there's no, I guess there's no indication that he isn't, but I mean, I feel like that trigger would have already been pulled by now if he thought UConn had what he wanted to offer. Their their talent is all in the backcourt as well, and so that's another thing he's got to mm-hmm. consider. And I mean, I mean, if we're talking about looking at roster situations, he can't look at Creighton's roster and think, oh, I'd go in there and start right away. I mean, Creighton's depth yeah. is with Caleb Joseph, Davion Mintz, Kyrie Thomas, Marcus Foster, Balak, Alexander. I mean, those are guys that he would directly compete with. Now, those guys might not be as household names as, uh, you know, some of the UConn guys, but, uh, you know, he would have to compete anywhere he went. Another thing that's interesting with UConn is, I mean, they had a point guard commit for the 2017 class, and he ended up decommitting and then going to Providence. And so, I know, I know that uh, they're, they're not in the same, you know, conference, uh, the Lang- Ashton Langford who decommitted and went in, inside with Providence, but you know, those guys talk, you know? And so why did Langford decommit from UConn? You know, I don't know. Uh, I would assume that Waters is a pretty good idea of why that elite talent from the backcourt left Kevin Ollie's program. And maybe it obviously is not rubbing him the best way because uh, again, that would leave him with an open spot to go play for them. But I, you know, I don't think anybody's got a good idea. Seeing, I love seeing UConn lose recruits to Big East schools. That's hilarious to me. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they if, if, uh, yeah, I mean, I always liked UConn as a program. I always thought they were, you know, interesting and they had cool players and they had, you know, cool storylines. They played a specific way and they always embodied Big East basketball, watching it from afar for a while. So to see them, you know, putzing around with South Florida and now Wichita State just seems weird, and their uh, fans must hate it. I cannot it just wait would suck. for yeah. UConn, Wichita State, because you know Greg's going to have his guys just. Uh, how pumped are they going to be? They all are going to season? Hate him. 
I mean, they are going to hate Greg Marshall. That whole league is going to hate him, and it's going to be excellent because when when a Loyola Illinois or a Bradley fan or writer doesn't like somebody, there's not much clout that goes around that. But when you know you're getting stick from UConn writers or yeah, yeah. you know Cincinnati writers, that's going to be that's going to be a good time. I mean, the Wichita State Cincinnati games are going to be nasty. I cannot yeah, wait no, to watch those games. Got to be good television. Too bad it's not on TV. <laughs> you know sure it's on ESPN three. Something, yeah. ESPN three, baby. Uh, okay, so we talked a lot about some 17, 18 year olds. Anything with like some twenty one, twenty two year olds? Justin Patton goes to the NBA Combine. Doesn't play five on five, but he does put up some decent numbers in the Combine stuff. Matt, I know you were paying close attention. Uh, other than the fact that Dougie Mc buckets out jumped in vertical wise what other kind of nuggets of wisdom did you did you pull from justin's uh justin's time in the windy city i thought his measurements were awful honestly yeah i mean he's it's funny because he still came out of it looking like a lottery pick but i mean his uh i mean i think his standing his standing vertical was one of the worst I think it was like second worst next to like Tony Bradley of North Carolina, who's who also I think staying in the draft. Yeah, some I don't know some bum last year. Um, I mean, he didn't even play, and I think he's going to stay in the draft. And I think he had a horrible combine, so I don't get it. But uh, Patton, yeah, he was like second to the last next to him, and then his max vertical was, you know, thirty and a half, which is like <laughs> if like dugout jumped that by six inches. Do you realize what that? Like what? Six inches. Yeah, is he really, is it, that just seems not correct. I just feel like I, I've seen him it's jump official. higher. I've seen him jump higher than that all year. It just doesn't seem real. But maybe it's just arms. I don't know. I don't know. And to me, that's the thing where I'm like, I saw those numbers and I go, well, that explains the six boards per game instead of ten. <laughs> no kidding. Because <laughs> I mean, like, I I was kind of floored by that. I was like. Did he trip on the way up or like what happened? I don't, I never pictured Justin Patton having a 30 and a half inch max vertical like that. I thought he could reach that high. First of all, like, (laughs) you know, I didn't, I don't know what his standing reach was. I forgot, but I mean, I don't, I don't, I was kind of floored by that. So I was surprised at how he didn't play five on five, which is totally status quo for potential lottery picks. Like lottery picks don't play five on five. Um, but his measurables were like, Ooh, that's interesting. And, you know, I guess when you're looking at like a strength and conditioning thing, that's something that, you know, you kind of weigh, what can the NBA do for me versus what can go into class and go into Creighton do for me kind of thing. So, I mean, there's obviously more time to improve that, you know, from a physical standpoint in the league. Um, And it's not like rookies these days are a lot of rookies these days are definitely developing in the D league. Um, That's more of an option than it ever has been. There's not a lot of impact rookies, like, you know, outside of the top five, a lot of them aren't going to get a lot of playing time. That's kind of normal. So, I mean, it's not like it was a bad decision but to sign with an agent right away. But, I mean, the numbers, when I saw them, I was like, that doesn't seem right. And then when I compared them to the rest of the field, I was like, ooh, that's not – that doesn't seem good. So, I mean, I think he's going to get some blowback on that. I'm, I'm sure some teams are going to kind of be hesitant when they see his measurables because – those are certainly part of his athleticism is certainly part of his injury. 
but he still has other skills as a basketball player that make him unique as a seven footer. So, do you think he realizes that anyway? That his measurables are something that he can control, and that um, not that he would, you know, mail it in, but that he's got some kind of back deal with the team, and he's just told to kind of go through the motions, and and, and they'll take him. I mean, that's pretty risky from a from a standpoint of a, a you know free agent, really. But I mean, sometimes I wonder how. Um, you know, how these, there's gotta be mind games and, and, and a lot of politics played for some of these, some of these, you know, participants. And I just wonder if he's one of those guys that said, you know, Denver has been watching me close all year. I'll just kind of, you know, I know they want me. I'll just kind of do my thing. Don't go crazy. And, and, and I'll end up in a spot where I know they're going to develop me. Right. I've been working with them lots and, and and that's where I want to go. So I don't know. What do you, what do you think about that? I think it'll depend on where who he works out for and things like that before I can you know before anyone can really make a judgment on how much back room conversation he's had with certain teams because I think for a guy at his position he's he's not a surefire thing like the Markel Fultzes and Lonzo Balls and guys like that who also have question marks but I mean I think it helps him I think it would help him to impress because he's kind of like a tweener as far as lottery projection and things like that. Like I could see a guy like him falling into the twenties, you know what I mean? And maybe dropping more if teams, you know, if teams start to try to fill needs after that, after that point, because when you get into the twenties, then what you're looking at is a bunch of playoff teams slash title contenders, which I mean, there's probably three title contenders in the NBA these days, but I mean, um, you know, the playoff teams are probably looking for need. And at that point, you know, when you get into like Milwaukee, who is a team that has been rumored to be interested in Patton, they have a ton of size already. Like from a roster standpoint, unless they want five seven footers running in transition, like I'd you know, with Thomas Bonmaker, that'd be mm-hmm. insane. It would just be look like a bunch of freaks. But um, maybe everybody's falling for Justin's ball handling skills, and they're going to draft him as like an off guard. There you go. You don't have to jump that high. <laughs> Just take a bunch of J's. True, that's true. Just take a bunch I, of J's. Like re, just revolutionize the game. Just reinvent it. And and, and, and he's that <laughs> different of a like a player in that regard, as far as the the newer age game goes. Like he can handle it. He can pass it. Yeah. I mean, he's pretty. Everyone, everybody tries to like think of a comparison for him. You know, I've heard Anthony Davis a lot. Which, I mean, Anthony Davis could jump. Let's let's, <laughs> let's stop that one. Um, right. That he could rebound and swat everything in sight, and then I, I kind of see like, a, you know, an unpolished Pau Gasol type because he's so good at passing. Like he has really good touch, really good. I mean, I, you know, he's if he if he turns into Pau Gasol, obviously he's a legend. But I mean, I still see a lot of Pau's skills in him. You know, he's got a lot of European type game to his, you know, to what he brings to the floor, yeah. and then. And then just seeing the athletic numbers, it feels like that is more of a match than Anthony Davis is, um, which you know, I, th- I still think he's definitely he's nowhere near the polished product that he's not going to be ready next year. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the D League, but I still think the combine was a chance for him to lock up a solid first round spot, and he may still have that. But I feel those numbers, people are going to see that and wonder. All right, how good are these? How good are these passing and ball handling and shooting skills? Because obviously, 
he's not uh, jumping out of the gym like, you know, what you think he should be doing. Like Anthony Davis, right? Like Anthony. Are Davis. they are they worried? Are they worried? Are teams worried that he can't jump so that he can't dunk, or that he can't get up and block somebody's shot? I just he's seven foot. You know what I mean? He's got long arms. Uh, how how much did he, did he measure out at seven foot or my dad six was eleven and a half or six eleven. Yeah, yeah he was 6'11". I think he was 6'11 and three quarters. I think his yeah. wingspan was about 7'3". Nice. Um, so, I mean, yeah, he's got he's got measurables that say he could probably be a good defender. Um, the thing that probably you take away from his measurables are the rebounding. He probably, you know, he doesn't jump well um, and things like that. I don't know what his hand size was. I don't know if combines measure hand size and things like that. But as far as, like, there, you know, there are certain things that the measurables – will stand out and say, oh, that's not good. Especially with him being, you know, near the bottom of everyone who tested. I mean, it's just, it wasn't, I I, I just don't think he had a good combine, and I don't think that does anything but hurt his stock. How much, we'll see. But, I mean, considering he was already kind of in that 15 to 20 range to begin with, um, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he falls to one of these organizations like, you know, like a San Antonio or something like that late in the first round where he's not going to get paid the money he thought he was going to get paid, but I mean, he will be in a good organization. And if he's patient and he works hard, I mean, let's know, be honest. We're, talk- we're talking about a kid who rose from a nobody to a five star player and then sat yeah. out a year. Okay. The dude yes. redshirted yeah. his freshman year. Easily, easily could have contributed his freshman year at Creighton, but he didn't because he, the coaches said, you're not ready. And so I, I see him as a guy that. Is, is smart about this process. And I'm not saying he blew the combine to go play for the Spurs, but he knows he's got a year or two in the D-League. If he goes to play for the D-League team for Sacramento or, or Philadelphia, there's going to be pressure to get him up in a year when he might not be ready. And and I think going to an organization at the end of the first round, at the, in around the 20-whatever you know pick, that could really benefit him long-term. He might not get paid a, a, you know an extra mil or two initially, but, you know, long-term, if they develop him right, he's now a 10-year pro instead of a two-, three-, four-year flame-out because all his flaws are exposed when he's in year three playing for the Sixers as a wing or whatever they want him to do. So, you know, I, I just – I look at him and I think he's got good information. I think teams have already told him that they like him. And, they're you know, he just kind of needed to go through the process and get things done. I think he's got a pretty good situation going. I think the team teams that want him will take him, whether he was six eleven or seven two, and and no matter how high you can jump, that they like his character, they like his the idea of what he is, and I think he'll be just fine. But he's got to put in work for a couple of years for sure, and going to like I said, a team like Philadelphia or you know whatever Sacramento at ten that that could really hurt him long term because there's going to be pressure from that meet that 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 organization to bring him up and play him. And that could really, really be detrimental to his arc. I agree. Okay. That's probably enough on hand size and uh, <laughs> the inability to jump. I mean, if we wanted to talk about that, I could just kind of talk about my intangibles and my tangibles, and my stats, but nobody wants to hear about that. Um, yeah. We'll be interesting to see where Justin goes. Um, you know, Let's talk about the guys that we do have, and let's talk about what's on the docket now for the 2017-2018 season. A little bit of schedule news here the last couple days. 
Um, we're recording on a Monday, and earlier today it was confirmed that the Blue Jays will be headed out to the Pacific Northwest to play a game that, I mean, gosh, let's face it, Jays fans for years and years and years have wanted to play the Gonzaga uh, Bulldogs, and now uh, the Jays will be headed out to Spokane to play Gonzaga in a home-and-home -home series. Jays going out uh, this season, and then they'll welcome the Zags the following season. Kind of your just initial blush on uh, getting to play the um, uh, – this one's to you, Joey – getting to play against the national runner-up and in their home <coughs> building, a place that's extremely tough to play um, with a team that loses Justin, our point guard is gone, and now Marcus Foster and Kyrie – and and co are going to lead the lead the Jays out to the Pac Northwest to play Gonzaga. What are your initial thoughts on that news? Oh, it's it's perfect. I mean, Creighton. Uh, we talked earlier. The Big East is going to be pretty uh, heavy in the middle, just like it was this year. I mean, Xavier went to the Elite Eight, and they were the what the eighth seed in the Big East tournament, yep. and so or the seventh seed. I mean, so there's going to be incredible depth in the Big East. And so um, Creighton, just in matter of that, is going to have a pretty good NCAA tournament resume. But adding a team like Gonzaga has that cachet that you would want to have on your resume, whether it's good or bad, uh, win or loss, I guess. Uh, you know, that, that's going to help your, your season. And, you know, Creighton loses some important pieces, obviously. But, I mean, Gonzaga has been rocked by the draft, too. I mean, they lost Williams Goss. He's declared early. Uh, Karnowski's out. Um, uh, uh, Jordan Matthews, their their grad transfer is out. So there's your top three scorers for Gonzaga out last year. Um, they lost Zach Collins uh, to early to the NBA, just like Justin Patton, who's a, a 10 point, yeah. <clears throat> six rebound guy. And so they return one double digit scorer, uh, a really good point guard, Josh Perkins, who Creighton really wanted a while ago uh, from Denver. Uh, and he's he's going to be a solid player. Uh, but then after that, they they, re they return some some role players and their uh, their recruiting class doesn't have any, you know, you know, impact guys that are going to be of the Williams Goss uh, caliber. They have good players, but not guys that are going to step in and be all Americans. And so for Creighton, uh, while their roster is maybe not the strongest roster they've had in the last couple of years, this is the perfect time to go to Gonzaga and try to steal a win because they have just as many questions as Creighton does right now. And I would say more questions than Creighton. So um, playing them in their building is going to be an uphill battle. They're a great program. Few is one of the best coaches. Uh, so it's not a, it's not a, a you know a, you know a surefire win, but it but it is something where I think Creighton has a good chance. Uh, Gonzaga's got questions, and uh, this is a, you know they're, they they would be ripe for the picking uh, at their place uh, this year. Uh, we'll see kind of how things uh, roll out. Did they come up with a date for that game yet? I have no. not seen one, Matt. Uh, have you seen? Have you heard any dates for the Gonzaga mm. game? No, they probably won't announce any dates for a while until the schedule gets finalized. But uh. For the Gonzaga thing, I'm, like, wondering what took so long because I don't know about you guys, but, you know, I started – I think I went to my first Creighton game kind of in the early 90s um, right before Dane Altman was hired. And then – so, obviously, started with Dana Altman. And then when they made the NCAA tournament, you know, that, that year that they beat Louisville was also the year Gonzaga went on that huge run and that Cinderella run and put themselves on the map, you know, with Matt Santangelo and those guys, like – so to me, that was always the matchup I wanted to see was why aren't Creighton and Gonzaga playing each other like every year as far as elite mid-majors go. 
And especially when you know Creighton joined the Big East too, and I'm like, you know, it's seeing that thing on the schedule for me is like 15 years in the making, 20 years in the making. So, well, weren't they weren't know, they weren't they rumored to have played last year? They were. There was lots of rumors I had been hearing that they were really close to maybe even had a gentleman's agreement that they were going to play last year. <clears throat> and just to really make a what if scenario, what if that Gonzaga team had played? our Creighton team uh, before Watson got hurt um, in non-conference. I mean, that would have been uh, probably Ooh. one of the better games I would have ever seen or as a Creighton fan, my team play. I mean, yeah. that would have been an awesome non-conference game. It's too bad uh, that whatever happened got blown up because I, I will never be able to see that. And that would have been really cool to see. <laughs> yeah. I'd heard the same thing too. I'd heard uh, a lot of strong rumor that this was going to start last season obviously didn't but now we get Gonzaga and Creighton this season and next and we'll have Mark Few walking the the sidelines there at CenturyLink Center Omaha right in front of me and I won't have to stand on my tiptoes like I will over Pat Ewing so I'm happy about that because our seats are right down there but um, no it's really exciting and like you said Joey it's a good opportunity um, because they do lose some pieces but that's always going to be a respectable opponent i mean even if gonzaga is quote unquote down a bit um going there and putting up a good fight uh in the kennel would be um a lot of things it'd be really important for this team now too if they can get out there depending on when the game is i mean they're going to obviously be tested quite a bit especially with that two-day uh tournament in kansas city a lot of quality on uh, the schedule there with Wisconsin, UCLA, and Baylor of whatever two of those teams that they that they'll play, but a lot of this schedule is going to be really tough. I mean, you talk about just outside the Big East. Um, that schedule now is Gonzaga, uh, two of Wisconsin, UCLA, Baylor, um, Northwestern, a trip to Northwestern thrown in the mix this weekend as they were announced. Uh, the Jays and the Wildcats will square off in the Gavit Games game up in Evanston, Illinois. So that's a, a pretty heady schedule um, so far, and there's and it, certainly a couple dates to fill too. And it goes back to the question Joey asked earlier as far as what um, maybe the coaching staff thinks this team's ceiling is next year. Sure. So as far as maybe finishing in the top four of the league and things like that. So when you put together – Wisconsin, Baylor, UCLA, Northwestern, uh, Gonzaga, Yale. I mean, Texas when, you, when you, Yale. yeah, when you see that schedule, does it does it look to you like a a coaching staff that thinks they don't have anything coming back, or that they want to test what they've got? No, I think I think they surely want to test, and regardless of if they yeah. get a Bowen or a Waters or bring a couple guys in that have to sit. I mean, like you said, it's it's a year to year thing now. Let's be honest. Um, you got to make the answer tournament every year. You got to show progress every year. You got to bring new guys in. the 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 feeling that surrounds with these grad transfers until that's not a thing anymore, it's just going to be the way this is, right? And there's going to be an ebb and a flow to classes all the time. Um, Joey, in our last podcast, you talked about how much time you spend trying to think about what the four year, five year, six year looks like. I mean. I respect that, and I, I think that in a perfect world, that's how it would be. But right now, it is just 
what have you done for me lately, right? Especially with as many guys that take off and from a player's perspective, they want to test the waters. They want to find the best position for them. They want to move up from Boston University to Creighton University. They want to move from K-State to the Big East to, you know, wherever. And um, it's just looking at the schedules, I think, Matt, you make a good point. Um, really gives kind of a window into how this lines up because it wasn't exactly like the Gonzaga thing has been years and years and years in the making, maybe a couple, right? But mm-hmm. they got that on the schedule. And, yeah. you know, you just start to see how this stuff kind of lays out. And there's a lot of quality opponents on the schedule, and you got to find the right roster that can make the most out of it. And I mean, just think of where they've come from in the last couple of years when, you know, Murph is the – guy who puts the schedule together so i mean a couple of years ago when you ask him if he ever wants to play baylor again he says hell no emphatically i don't ever want to see the team again and now he's got them on the schedule so i mean clearly you've seen a creighton's roster molding in the in a different way to where they're not necessarily trying to avoid matchups with super athletic teams yeah i still want to and play they, them, they, they're confident they can test themselves against any of the top 25 teams in the country. And that's that comes from playing in the Big East the last couple of years that has been an elite league, that has turned on a national champion. I mean, you're not really going to – when you see that on when you see that for 18 games a year, what are you afraid of in November and December at that point? So, I mean, yeah. Well, I think this the fact speaks, that they I think this, up on this doesn't surprise me at all. This speaks more to Creighton's overall brand to me. I mean, great, yeah, it's a great game to have in your yeah. resume. You want to play teams like Gonzaga – but I mean, the college basketball, like you said, uh, is haves and have nots. And the grad transfer thing is all about what teams can do me the, the best for this one or two years. And Creighton is transitioning from a team that was always the bridesmaid to now they're, they're turning into a team that's being hunted out to get on your schedule because they have a good league, because they have a respectable fan base and then whatever else you want to say. But getting a, getting a team like Gonzaga and – and, and the Baylor UCLA's Wisconsin's of the world and the Northwestern's, you know, it's the Gavit games. Yeah. But Creighton's definitely a, a team that people see as that can help me get my program better. And and that wasn't the conversation five, 10 years ago. And right. so it's been a huge move for Creighton to be a team that Gonzaga looks at and says, I can get as much out of you as you can get out of me. And that's, that in itself is huge. And, and they're going to continue to hopefully build off of that and uh, and schedule and recruit and 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 market to it. And I think that's just looking at the overall arc of the program, that the athletic department, that that speaks volumes, you know. And, and that's that's great as a fan. So yeah, I think people just expected like the wave, the magic wand, Big East conference um, comes to us, we join it, and then all of a sudden our schedule is going to be a you know a top ten, top fifteen RPI schedule or strength the schedule piece. And I think it's just taken a couple of years for that to bear out. You know, um, obviously the big East is, I think been better top to bottom every year since that change happened. Um, obviously sending as many teams as they did to the NCAA tournament last year and looking very much like, uh, that would not be a fluke to happen again. But, you know, I think, it's right on like back five, six, seven years ago, the Jays and probably more, more accurately, right. The fan base thinking, well, why wouldn't Gonzaga's schedule? I mean, they had their, like, they have their pick pretty much of going out and finding big name schools that they want to play in the non-conference. You know, they'd go play 
in Seattle. They'd go play at MSG. And they'd, they'd, they'd schedule these games with the true Blue Bud Buds, or they'd schedule these games with you know teams that they'd be guaranteed to be in the top 20 from an SOS standpoint. I mean, Creighton was never guaranteed, that, guaranteed to be that for them. And now we are, frankly. Yeah. And they're looking at they're looking at Creighton like what what's a school that we can play next year that isn't named a name school that we think we can beat at home. And that's that that's Creighton, right? They're they're looking at our roster and they're thinking, yeah, they lost pieces. You know, that's definitely a team we can pick off. And and that's great for them. But the fact that we're a team that they think that that name has some some cachet. And that that's that's the to the point where we know okay we're making inroads as a program that we're now a school that you know can help and benefit a school like Gonzaga or like a UCLA Wisconsin Baylor we're okay with a team like Creighton being that little conf, that little uh, tournament because they will carry their weight in conference and, and benefit me come March. Yeah, the fact that it's a home and home with Gonzaga is in lockstep with the point you just made there because. Like Kansas and Duke and Kentucky aren't scheduling home and homes with teams they don't think they can beat. They're scheduling exempt tournaments with those teams, and they're playing at, you know, the United Center and having all these recruits come in and watch all this, you know, all the NBA scouts and things like that. They're put on a showcase. You know, Duke isn't going to play Gonzaga. Like that's never been Coach K's mo at all. I mean, he wants to make sure they win as many games as possible year in year out, so he doesn't. And he's in a position where he doesn't take those risks. So, sure. you know, the fact that Gonzaga scheduled a home and home is in line with what you're saying right there as far as it being a winnable game, but also one that, you know, is a marketable game. All right. How much more hoops? So, I think great. we go talk about your Big East baseball champions. Anybody else got anything on men's hoops you want to add to the discussion? No, we covered all the recency stuff, right? Well, I mean, frankly, we just talked long enough to see if those two kids from UMass would commit tonight on Twitter while we were broadcasting, <laughs> but I have not seen anything, so I think we're safe to kind of jump off the men's hoops wagon and jump over to the grinders and service. <laughs> Deal? Deal. Because we have Big East champions to celebrate tonight. It was a weird weekend out in Indianapolis or the airport, or wherever they were. Matt, I know you had a chance to talk to Coach Service right after um, they clinched, statistically clinched after a rain out on Sunday. But Ed Service and the 2017 men's baseball team are the Big East champions, same team that started 1-11 on the season. Um, they win the conference. They win the conference that's, I think, now still a top 10 RPI league, maybe top 11, Matt. You've probably been t- paying yeah. more attention to top that. 10. But they win a top 10 RPI league. And, um, you know, and they get to host. So they're the number one seed. They'll be hosting the Big East tournament um, this week at TD Ameritrade Park. So, Talk us through exactly what happened this weekend, Matt, both in Indianapolis and then as St. John's and Villanova came down the stretch on on, uh, on the weekend to, to play into exactly how the Jays won a Big East title. So, I mean, Creighton was in the driver's seat going into the weekend, but, I mean, they weren't exactly playing well, and I don't think they played well this weekend either. I mean, even though they won one of the games, um, the one, you know, they won Friday, lost Saturday. Uh it, it, it's interesting because this team isn't 
necessarily playing well right now, but I'm wondering, you know, just based on having this, you know, what Ed said, the team, how the team reacted in the airport watching St. John's Villanova, if winning the conference at all, I don't care how they did it, because they won the series against St. John's. Let's, let's, I mean, let's just be honest. They didn't. It's not like they backed their way in. St. John's had a chance at home against the worst team in the conference. Right. All they had to do was win the game, and they're champions. They didn't do it. I mean, that's not Creighton's fault. Creighton beat St. John's. They did. They handled their business. So, I mean, the way the announcers were kind of, like, spinning that as far as, you know, this being some kind of shady way to decide a champion as far as win percentage goes, well, Creighton also won the head-to-head. So, I mean, what argument does St. John's have? If they lose to Villanova, who Creighton also swept, what's the argument for St. John's being unfairly finishing second place? Like, there isn't one. So, I mean... The way the the weekend went, I don't think Creighton was feeling good going into Sunday, especially with it being a rainout and not having a chance to win that series. Yeah. You know, that's what, five losses in seven games type of deal. Um, but just the way Ed said the players were reacting to, you know, Villanova coming back, taking the lead, the ebb and flow of that game, the way it went down to the wire with Villanova kind of taking over at the end and their bullpen shutting it down for them to win comfortably. You know, I think it may be – lit another fire in this team that, you know, and they looked good. They looked energized today at practice. I mean, they didn't really, you know, they, it was a high intensity practice. They went, you know, that it wasn't a typical, you know, take a, take 20 swings in BP, then walk over and bunt. Like it was fast paced. It was like, go take your cuts, hustle over bunt, go back, take your cuts, hustle over bunt. Um, they did fielding drills. They did throwing drills today. It was like a full go practice. And, you know, it was a high tempo practice, uh, you know, one that they usually see more in the fall and the spring than you do at the end of the season. So I think there is a lot of renewed energy on this group, and I think they're fired up to not only host the conference tournament, which was, you know, one of those things where you were wondering if the team could even do that, being so young. Um, but the and fact because that of all the rainouts, I mean, you know, there's that whole asterisk that garnered a couple articles in the local fish wrap. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they're so young. Yeah, I mean, that never was <laughs> – I understand yeah. why that was said. I know. I was in the room when that conversation went down, but I didn't think that was worthy of two <laughs> articles. I mean, <laughs> it seemed like a foregone conclusion that Creighton wasn't going to be held out of the conference tournament based on that technicality, especially if they won the freaking league. So, I mean, that was just uh, stirring the <laughs> stirring the pot a little bit there. But, I mean, whatever. Uh yeah, the, I mean, the, but I, again, I think going into this week, first of all, the Big East tournament this week, I think, is going to be really good, um, but probably a little better than people might expect because I think the Big East is, you know, kind of taking some lumps being around the 18th best league last couple years. Um, but this year it's a top 10 league, and, it's a, you know, the four teams that are coming in are all playing really well right now. Um, St. John's is one of the best teams in the country. They're, I think they're 40 and 9 or something like that. They're a lock to make the NCAA tournament right now. So, I mean, they're playing with house money coming into the weekend. Sure. Uh, Xavier's playing really well. Uh, Seton Hall has been pitching outstanding right now. So, I mean, I think you're going to see the games you're going to see this weekend, whether permitting, they're going to be really, really good, really competitive. And I think it's going to showcase the best that this league has to offer from a baseball perspective. Are you going to be there with the kids? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm going to take uh, take the whole family on Thursday night for sure. Um, probably try to get over to the first game uh, for a little bit on Thursday afternoon too. But, you know, you talk a little bit about Seton Hall and how well they're pitching 
I know Jeff Albrecht got roughed up a little bit um, in the second game of the series in Butler. A lot of bombs going out. I know that you crunched some numbers on him in terms of the amount of home runs he's given up uh, in yeah. his recent couple weeks. But how you know those arms really have to set the tone uh, early. I know it's only a four-team tournament and double elimination still, so you've got a little bit of leeway with your bullpen. But um, you know, just how important is it that Raleigh and Jeff and Keith get off to um, you know really solid starts here? Because you know, you go down in a quick hole, and that that only makes the weekend and the and the and the, um, the path to a title that much more difficult. So. Kind of how's Ed set yeah. that up? Because we've I, had a lot of really good. I mean, we historically in these tournaments, we've had some outstanding starting pitching. Um, you know, in those longer tournaments, you suffer a loss early, and you start to get into the fourth starter situation. And some of those games just become a total, you know, brawl and 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 survival of the fittest sort of scenario. But just how's Ed? You know, got his guys set up for how this tournament will break out to start. Well, I think the starting pitching is going to set up pretty well. I actually think there might be a uh, – he might juggle the rotation a little bit. Okay. I think Keith Regala, since he didn't pitch this weekend, might move up a spot or two. Um, but I, it's you made a good point about what Creighton kind of wants to do as far as staying in the driver's seat this weekend because the one – the one area where you're definitely not sure what you're going to get out of Creighton and where, you know, a hero might have to emerge because you can't predict it will be the bullpen because that's not exactly, it's not, it hasn't been deep this year. They, they don't have a lot of guys that have proven they can be dependable consistently. It's pretty much been the three weekend starters and then David Gerber and Ethan DeCaster, which are your back end rotation, back end bullpen guys. Yeah. So I mean, the guy, the the I mean, the rest of the guys in the bullpen just were not consistent the rest of the year. I mean, that's just the fact of the matter. You know, Jackson Vasilis had a couple good outings, but then he got the flu and lost 15 pounds, so he hasn't pitched in a while. Ryan Tappany pitched poorly early in the season. He seems to be pitching well now, but he still, again, had an up and down year overall. So he's a guy you can probably count on for a couple innings this weekend. Um, maybe even extend him a little bit if you have to come out of the loser's bracket. Um, Brendan Hammer's coming on a little bit, but he's not a guy you can really extend. Uh, so, I mean, the bullpen depth-wise isn't great. So, I mean, you want to make sure you stay in the driver's seat, like you said. And it is going to be really important this this weekend. Um I guess I shouldn't say this week. It's the end of the season. But, I mean, you, you understand what I'm saying as far as the way Albrecht's pitching right now. Because, like I said, it, it when you look at his game by game, I mean, there's he, he threw today, so I don't think he has a dead arm. Because I don't think he would have thrown today if that were the case. But the balls were leaving the yard more than they ever have been with him. And, uh, you know, you wonder if that's just a variance, you know. Because you have sample sizes and things like that, and he started his career, you know, pitching against BB Corbats in a, you know, with a with a different baseball and things like that. So I mean, there were some changes there, obviously. And he is a fly ball pitcher, so sure. I mean, there, that was always the case that you know he would always he was always playing with that risk in the first place because that's the way he pitches. But I mean, when you look at you know the way Butler bombed 
balls out of the yard. I mean, that was just – I mean, it doubled his home run total for the whole season. Right. And then when you look at his first 25 to 30 starts or and then a bunch of all of his outings, he didn't allow any home runs versus now he's allowed, I think, seven in his last – four or five outings you know what i mean that's that's that jumps out at you right when you see that you go okay what's different here so i mean he's not he's he's not going to the tournament probably feeling a lot of confidence right now but he threw today so i don't think it's a dead arm issue um i think having keith not pitch last weekend is going to be interesting because does that affect um his effectiveness because he might not have a great rhythm but he's rested so i mean moving him up is probably a great call the fact that you got him rested with a short week um, is probably a good thing. So, I, you know, I don't know if Ed wants to pitch him game one against Seton Hall and then have Raleigh come back for Xavier St. John's winner in the winner's bracket game or how that's going to work out. But he's, I think the weekend rotation as far as those three starters sets up pretty well. It's, it's going to be paramount that they stay in the winner's bracket because I don't know if Creighton has enough depth pitching-wise to recover from the loser's bracket. Sure. So how do you think this weekend's going to go? You've seen probably more Big East baseball this year than than most folks not on pit, on uh, coaching staffs. Um, so, what, I mean, what's your gut tell you? Well, I mean, St. John's is clearly the best team in this league. I mean, that's just the, the body of work is obvious. Um, you know, you've got – you've got Xavier and Creighton who are essentially 500 baseball teams overall. And you've got St. John's who's sitting at 40 and nine with wins over North Carolina, coastal Carolina. I mean, their body of work is really impressive and their lineup is, I mean, their lineup is stacked. I mean, they don't really have an easy out in it. Um, they're not necessarily a bunch of bombers like McNeese state was, but they have guys who can, you know, who can find holes and find the gaps and put a lot of pressure on you. And it's not like when Creighton and St. John's play each other, St. John's didn't hit the ball. St. John's hit the ball really well that weekend. They just didn't. Creighton just didn't give them free bases, and they. I think they walked. I think Creighton's whole entire pitching staff walked one guy all weekend. Really. Sure. So sure. that was the huge. That was huge for winning that series was not allowing their hitters to come up with guys on base and issuing free passes. So. Um, but but St. John's did hit the ball at this ballpark, and they, they are certainly capable of doing that every time out. So I think they're the favorite just because they've they've been the best team in this league by far. Without you know even even though Creighton did win that series against them, uh, they're the favorite in my mind. And then Xavier is that team that kind of has Creighton's number right now. They've won five in a row head to head against the Jays, um, and I think yeah, and they've got Ryland Bannon, who I think is the best player in this league by far. Um, and I'd be surprised if he doesn't win conference player of the year because that dude can absolutely rake. Um, and he's the one who hit the home run against David Gerber to win the only game they played this year head to head. So Xavier's going to be an interesting out, but I think for Creighton, it's probably good. That they avoided, play, uh, you know, having to face their ace, Zach Lowther. Um, St. John's will probably have to deal with that. So that's probably ideal for them. And then, the, you know, Seton Hall is a team that always plays Creighton close, but, they're the team that Creighton has also – Creighton's had their number like Xavier's had Creighton. So, sure. I mean, that's the matchup that of the th- three first-round matchups, Creighton probably wanted the most just right. because of recent success. And you obviously wanted to avoid Xavier just because there seems to be some mental block there. Um, and you want to avoid St. John's because they're the best. So, um, I think – yeah, I think – but I think the way the tournament shakes out, St. John's' pitching staff isn't great. 
Um, they were really shaky this weekend against a bad Villanova offense. I mean, they you know they played well the first two games, but giving up nine runs to Villanova is pretty alarming. So, sure. I mean, that, that that was the worst offense in the league across the board, not just in a few categories, across the board. So, um, so that was something that stood out as far as – because they pitched a lot of their best bullpen guys in that game, and they didn't get the job done with a title on the line. So that was a high-pressure situation for them. So, well, I mean, yeah. I think it's really – I think it's anybody's tournament. I would be surprised if the most if Seton Hall won it. And then, you know, I think Creighton has probably got a good shot. So I was at home ballpark and the crowd's going to be behind them. But um, I still think St. John's is probably the favorite going in though. So c- c- crowd size, uh, notwithstanding, what do you think the home field brings to a team in one of these conference tournaments? I mean, a lot of, a lot of conferences, they don't, they don't play on home fields. They'll have a neutral or whatever, but um, kind of, I know it's hard to quantify that, but just the familiar trappings of home and being back where you are, like, how's that factor in you think? How much of a factor is that in how a team performs in these types of tournaments? Well, I think Creighton is going to perform well in this situation just because they'll be comfortable um, you know, all of their habits, like sleeping in their own beds and things like that, will be there. And then you've got the home fans backing you every game. I'm honestly surprised the Big East doesn't look for this more often because outside of the two times they've well, have been to TD Ameritrade Park after this year, that's the only home environment they've played these conference tournaments in. You know, and then you look at when they played in Comey Island the first year, and there maybe was 200 people all weekend. And then you look at the ballpark they found in Baltimore or Aberdeen, Maryland. Um, yeah. Not much more than that. I mean, I, I guess I'm not really sure what it costs to rent those facilities out for your tournament versus what you're trying to get back from fans in the seats. So I don't know. But, I, I'm, you know, this goes back to the argument that we could have tonight if you wanted to about why the Big East, who had first dibs on – reserving this ballpark for their conference tournament decided to reserve it for this year and then give it to the big 10 for five straight years. I mean, why that doesn't make any sense to me. It's the home of the college world series. You had by far better attendance numbers. You had more people in that one year at the conference tournament than you've had in the other three combined. And you almost feel like taking out an advertisement to tell baseball fans, Creighton baseball fans, to come this year because it's not going to be here for a long time. This is just not going to happen. I just think it's crazy to me unless, you know, unless they move their conference tournament up, which, you know, would be weird. But I mean, unless they do that, you look at how young this roster is that Creighton has right now, certainly from the position player standpoint, this is the last time they're going to play a conference tournament at TD Ameritrade Park. That kind of blows my mind a little bit. The fact that they, they won't be back to do it again. You know what I mean? Just because of the the value this park has to the league. I mean, does the league know that it's the home of the College World Series? Does that not mean much? I mean, <laughs> I, don't know. I felt I, like that's something that you should use as an asset as I, much as possible. Yeah, I mean, I, I drove past the stadium tonight, and uh, they've already got the greatest show on dirt. Uh, banners hanging from all the street poles lining Cumming Street up to Abbott Drive, so – People in the city, at least, realize that it is, and yeah, I just don't get it. I mean, you and I could. We I mean, could, Omaha, we could is host... an event. Omaha is an event town, right? 
I've heard, yeah, they decided to bring back the swim trials again. They get thousands of people to watch horses jump over inanimate objects. (laughs) I mean, like, it's a legit place to host an event. So, I know, you and I could have our own... We could have our own podcast about just what the Big East is doing with some of these decisions, but I don't... That probably wouldn't work out well for... And I don't mean to... (laughs) It probably wouldn't work out well for your credentials. I don't mean to, like, bash them the whole time. It's just... They have good people that, you know, work hard and things like that. I'm not trying to begrudge those people at all, you know. But, I mean, it's just – it felt like that was an easy no-brainer to at least pick a couple years, you know what I mean, out of that, you know, just in, in advance. Because yeah. it, how you can give that away for five years and say, no, nah, we don't need it, we'll find other places. Like, they were giving you the first option and you chose one season. Yeah, and then you're crazy. like – yeah, we think we can do better for the next. Like you're not the next. Just think about it. The next five years probably won't have attendance-wise. Probably won't do near the numbers this one season will do right now. So I mean, I don't know what their conversations are going to be like in five years if they realize that or if it matters or not. But to me, that's I, I feel like as far as what Creighton brought to the Big East, TD Ameritrade Park, uh, the CenturyLink Center, like facilities-wise, as far as what teams come in and play in. I feel like Creighton is a as good of an addition as you could possibly have had if you got to choose anybody in the country. If you got to choose from Duke, Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, like every Michigan State, if you got to choose, if the Big East got to pick who's coming into this league from a facility standpoint, you couldn't have you couldn't have found anybody better than Creighton. You could find some people as good, but from the facilities you're going to use in the play, Morrison Stadium, DJ Sokol Arena. TD Ameritrade Park, CenturyLink Center. I mean, I mean yeah. I've been to I've been to Lawrence, Kansas, many times. They don't have that, right? I mean, that's just the. I mean, they've got Fog Allen, which is historic, and I love that place. But I mean, that's that's basically it, right? There's no so, I mean, Homerism there. It's just. <laughs> I mean, it's, no. I mean, it's, it's black. It's black and white. No, it is though. It's black and white. I mean, it's we have. Mm great buildings and we're going to watch the baseball tournament be held at some carnival palace next spring or something who knows i mean i don't i don't know i mean it's crazy to think to me like you mentioned the young players and them probably not going to be able to they won't be able to play in another conference tournament here just think about with all the changes that are projected for a lot was it lot b or lot d or whatever there it is in between the CenturyLink Center and TD Ameritrade Park, and all of the other mm-hmm. developments that are going on down by the CenturyLink Center and TD Ameritrade Park, just how different it's going to look the next time the tournament is there. Like, it's going to be like an, its own little mini city, and nobody's going to yeah. recognize it. It's going to be crazy. That's how long from now it's going to be before the tournament is here again. So. Hopefully Jays fans can find some time out. Looks like the weather's supposed to be great. I know it's been soggy and whatnot here the last couple of weeks, but looks like the weather's going to be good. And uh, I I love the four team tournament double elimination. I really like that. It looks like they have learned from their errors of a couple of years ago. And there's a true double elimination championship game, which is nice to see in the bracket. Uh, you never know with. Uh, <laughs> with how this thing's been thrown together the last couple of years, 
how exactly the format's mm-hmm. going to be, but this will be a good one. I, I'm, I, I think it's going to be an exciting weekend for the Jays, and, and hopefully they can show well because, like you said, this will be the last time to see it for a while. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, it should be an interesting weekend. I know you've been uh, touching base with a bunch of the fall sports coaches, keeping tabs on. Mm-hmm. Elmar Bolovich, Ross Pauly, and Kirsten Bernthal Booth. I know you were able to sit down with Coach Booth and have a, a nice, uh, what, 25-minute interview with with uh, arguably one of the best coaches in college volleyball. Um, you want to set up the interview a little bit, Matt? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the spring season is obviously over for all the fall teams, so um, I kind of just wanted to touch base and – um, kind of give our listeners a little just um, update on what's going on with those teams because obviously the recruiting classes are getting finalized. Their 2017 schedules are getting finalized. Um, Creighton's volleyball schedule is almost completed. There's just uh, – I think they're waiting on one tournament down in Wichita that might add another team. Um which is obviously Wichita State, Iowa State, and Creighton right now. Um, they might add another team, a fourth team to that. So I think that's really the last hang-up on releasing that. So it should be out pretty soon. But, you know, obviously you've got the Washington Huskies on that. You've got Pitt on that. You've got um, Kansas, Purdue, Wichita State, Iowa State, um, just loaded with NCAA tournament teams. Um then you've got USC, Kentucky, Northern Iowa coming to Omaha Labor Day weekend for the Blue Jay Invitational. So that should be – DJ Sokol Arena should be popping for that one because that's going to be a premier first weekend or Labor Day weekend volleyball tournament, you know, around the country. So um, should be good for Creighton fans. I think that's – I think, too, that's the that'll be the only four home dates if I'm not mistaken. Like I said, the schedule hasn't been officially released yet, but I do believe those are their only – their only four, their only home dates will be that weekend in the non-conference for the Blue Jay Invitational. So the rest of it will be as tough as a schedule as Kirsten Brunthal Booth has ever put together, and she's put together some tough ones. Um, this one is an absolute gauntlet. Um, you know, Washington was a national seed last year. Uh, Pitt was an NCAA tournament team. I think there's nine NCAA tournament teams from last year on this schedule. I'm not mistaken. So it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see this team tested that way, because you know she loves to test them from the you know iron sharpens iron. She loves to put them, you know, put their feet to the fire from day one and you know build them up to where they're playing their best volleyball in December. So um, it'll be fun to see. And then you know, obviously Jaylee Winters and uh, Brittany Witt, who's currently out in Thailand right now. She just played her first match I think today or yesterday. Um, and Taryn Cloth are all on various Team USAs this summer. So there's a little update on how they're doing and what their approach to that is going to be. Um, and, yeah, just a little update, a little volleyball update. We'll have the soccer coaches on. Their, their recruiting classes and their schedules weren't um, finalized yet, so I decided to hold off on interviewing them and just asking them various random, how's your off-season going questions uh, <laughs> without much detail because they can't comment on it until it's official. So uh, we'll get the soccer coaches on here pretty soon and give everybody an update on, you know, what their 2017 outlook looks like. Um, 
but for now, uh, Kirsten was um, very generous with her time. I wanted to go about 10 to 15 minutes. We ended up going 25, so it ran long, And uh, but it's she's, good stuff. She's used to going five sets those last couple uh, matches of the season, so exactly. you know, keep it going. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay, so thanks for setting that up, Matt. We're going to go ahead and listen to the interview now, and then we'll come back to close our 26th episode of the Blue Jays Bites podcast. This is Matt D. Morenas interviewing Creighton Volleyball Head Coach Kirsten Bernthal Booth. Uh, here with uh, for another episode of the Blue Jay Bites podcast. I'm actually not sure if it's Blue Jays or Blue Jays. I always say it wrong. I'll get it eventually. Um, sitting here with Creighton Head Volleyball Coach Kirsten Bernthal Booth. Uh, good morning. Thanks for sitting down. Ah, my pleasure. I know it's. Uh, you're probably wondering why Matt wants to talk to you in the spring. Um, no, we're glad about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, she pushed. She pushed it off as far as she could. Um, I just wanted to go. You know, just a few things because obviously your spring season's over with, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, with you shipping kids off to various Team USA's, you don't have anybody to coach around the office mm-hmm. anymore. Um, but just kind of get a little bit of the overview of the spring and leading into the fall and things like that. If that's sure, yeah. So I, I mean, your spring season—it's kind of funny because you do load up on challenging your team in the non-conference in the fall but I mean the spring wasn't wasn't necessarily a cakewalk either I mean playing K-State playing Iowa playing Wisconsin South Dakota I mean what was your yeah right Nebraska the the scrimmage um what was your kind of overview of going into that first of all what you wanted to see in a competitive setting for your team you know I think the spring is always about getting individual players better and then maybe putting in some new team concepts. So if we want to try something out, the spring is when we'll do it. We, you know, as competitors, you want to win, but you're not making decisions based on winning like you would in the fall. Uh, a loss is okay as long as we're working on things we want to work on. So mm-hmm. some specific things that we really wanted to work on, we wanted to work on our out-of-system blocking. So if a team was off the net, we felt like, there were some risks we could take that maybe would get us some more blocks. We wanted to work on swing blocking that. Um, player specific, like we wanted Lydia to jump top all spring so we could evaluate it. And what we told her at the beginning of the sw- spring was, even if you miss every serve, we're going to have you do it all spring just so that you can work through some things and see whether we want to look at it in the fall. So we did things like that. Um, and then you work on you know, just making sure you get your offensive rhythm, um, serve and pass is obviously key. So, you know, that's kind of what we keyed on in the spring. And, and we kind of feel like if we play great teams, that's better for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and it's good for players that don't play all that much to play high-level teams so that they um, are prepared when they get opportunities to, to, you know, be able to jump in and help us. How much of it was carryover from the way the season ended and just things you saw throughout that tournament and throughout the non-conference last year that you say, okay, we're, you know, we're in the elite eight, but I mean, there's still things I think we can do to get to the even next level. Sure. You know, after season, we sit down as a staff and we make a list of what we're good at and you want to continue to work on what you're good at. There's Mm -hmm. no question. And then you say, okay, where can we get better? You know, and to some degree that's stat driven. I mean, obviously you use the eye test too, but, um, it, you know, you can look at stats and say, okay, our, our offensive hitting percentage went up this year, but our blocks per game went down. I mean, that's what we saw. Um, we felt like defensively we did pretty well, but you can always get better. Our passing stats were, were good, but you always can get better. You know, so yeah. some of those things, 
um, you, you know, you kind of sit down, and then you go through each player, and you say, what can this kid get better at? And, you know, sometimes it's simplicity and just saying, let's get them good at these couple things. And other kids, you say, okay, they're doing well at this. Let's expand what they can do. And so that's kind of what we did. And then, you know, during individual workouts in January and February, we lock into those kids individually on what we think they can improve upon. And then uh, we go into team concepts in March and April. And the last time we talked, it was right before you had your player meetings, I believe. What did you get from the returning players as far as, I mean, in terms of, what they thought of the season that they just went through. And, you know, you kind of want to always raise the bar, but you're never really sure, especially with a young class that has kind of experienced a Sweet 16 and Elite 8. You don't really know if they think that's going to be just the standard, if that's just going to happen every year. Mm-hmm. What did you get from those conversations as far as what's still motivating them? Well, I think we got from the conversations was great because a couple of big things. I think they enjoyed the I think they enjoyed the journey. And, you know... As much as you want to win, I think winning happens when you're doing things that you love. And mm-hmm. so I was really pleased to hear that they enjoyed the process and they enjoyed each other and they thought we improved throughout the year. So those are all great things. Do I think that they expect that those things are going to happen? To a degree, I do. And to a degree, you want that. You know, you want the expectation. You know, I, it, does, it, it doesn't take me long to know that making the NCAA tournament is really, really hard. And, I, I mean, I tell the team that each year because it is almost to a point that it's not making the NCAA tournament is a goal. That's just assumed. It's how far are we going to go in the NCAA tournament. And so, to some degree, you rein them back and say, first, we've got to make sure we qualify. But on the flip side, I love that that's the expectation. Um, I don't see complacency, though, and I think that's really good. Um, I think I think for the staff and for the players – the more we've moved in the tournament, the more driven we've become. And so that's been great to see. Our strength coach, who you've heard me talk about, Brad Schmidt, who yeah. I think is one of the best in the country, um, you know, he said, and he's tough. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm the nice one. He's he's the tough one. Someone has to be. Right. So, uh, and, and Brad said it was perhaps the best spring we've had, which I think is quite a statement because he doesn't throw things like that out. Mm-hmm. So I think it shows you the commitment of these guys and the decisions that they're making – you know, they're working hard when we have them, but they're making good decisions when we're not with them. And I think that's, you know, it's, you know, I, you hear about, you know, you hear a story about, about like Mia Hamm of going and doing things when no one's watching. You know, that's when champions are made. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing I'm telling my children. You know, are you out in the driveway shooting baskets or are you just doing it when your coach is watching? It's kind of that same philosophy with college athletes, but it might be, are you getting enough sleep? Are you staying in cup, uh, on top of your studies? Are you eating right? You know, things that I'm not going to monitor them at night and make sure they're putting their head on a pillow, but that's going to affect how they perform the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, Jacqueline Taylor was a kid who retreated last year, didn't get um, a chance to be on the court for, you know, the NCAA tournament run and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you put her into the fire this spring to kind of just see what she would do. I mean, put her in a whole set against Wisconsin. Um, I guess what what is your assessment of her performance this spring and how she kind of, you know, kind of jumped into – Jumped into the fire willingly. Right, right. Well, and, you know, you can see the nerves a lot of times when when players get thrown into those situations. Um, Jack has some pieces to be really good, and we've seen a lot of strides from her. Um, She still needs to work on consistency. And, um, you know, her defense continues to improve, and she's kind of put an emphasis on that. She was a great blocker coming out of um, high school, 
but we run such a different tempo in our gym mm-hmm. that uh, that was an adjustment. I feel like she made huge strides this spring with her blocking and became, uh, you know, kind of got back into her old blocking confidence. The thing that's really special about Jack is she is a setter that every hitter wants to play for. And that's a big statement. She's a great leader. She knows how to motivate. Um, you know, she she's not going to be an in-your-face type of leader, but she's going to make people play hard. Um, so those are all good things. We think she has great pieces. She still has a ways to go, but I think she knows that, and I think she's driven to get better. You like to see the deer in the headlights a lot of your players, don't you? Why do you say that? Well, you throw them in there, and you're like, all right, time to learn the hard way, right? <laughs> well, Iron sharpens iron type of deal. How, how else do you get them through that? they got to play. Some people like to take it the easy way, believe it or not, but uh, you don't. And it's maybe the results have dictated it, so. Um, but Megan Ballinger and Brittany Whitworth, too, I mean, Brittany's obviously came right at the tail end of the Texas match, but Megan was a kid who looked like she was really frustrated that weekend that her body wasn't letting her do what her mind yeah. wanted to do. Um you know, she had the off-season surgery. How did those two kind of perform in the spring, you know, recovering from the various ailments right. they had? Well, Witt's injury never caused us – I mean, she missed, what, 10 points in the Texas match, and that's all she's missed. Right. Because she, you know, came back, had surgery pretty quick afterwards, and was healed up by the time we started spring season. So, um, you know, and she looks fat, fabulous. There's, you know, no issues. So Witt's, Witt's 100% healed and didn't miss a day. Um, Megan had surgery, went well. She's always going to have some pain. Um, I think it's far, far better than what she was on in the, uh, in December. I mean, you know, that child, what she played through is really, really remarkable. And, you know, we didn't talk about it cause we didn't want people to know. Right. Um, but yeah, I, it's really impressive what she was able to do. Um, and she, you know, she comes back, it was a foot injury and had surgery and, you know, her verticals way down. And Megan's a really high volleyball IQ player mm-hmm. already. And so she's ha- she's playing three or four or five inches lower than what she normally jumps early in our spring season as she's kind of getting back into things. And she is just getting kills being crafty because she can't elevate. You know, mm-hmm. she can't hit down the way she normally does. And so as her jump came back, it was really fun. She hit really high numbers all spring long and she was just getting I mean she'd get now her power is starting to come back because she's starting to elevate again mm-hmm. but she's getting crafty kills too I mean, we joke that Megan is going to be the greatest old woman volleyball player because she can tool she's got such a litany of shots that she can pull from you know if, if she's trapped she's going to get your finger mm-hmm. you know she's just going to tool it off it you know and you teach those things, but a lot of players don't get that stuff. And a lot of times when they're older, after yep. they're out, they kind of acquired a necessity. Yeah. Megan, Megan kind of has those things already. So, so. she enters her sophomore year, she'll be a veteran on the court. Right, right. So she, I would say she's close to 100%. By the end of the spring, she was, I don't think she's jump-touching her highest yet, but she was getting closer. So one thing about the spring that I was, um, that was kind of cool to see was uh, Micah, your former volunteer assistant obviously took a job at UNO. Um, and your first uh, spring match against Iowa and Kansas State, that tournament at the Volleyball Academy, he was kind of your number one assistant that day. Um, Ryan was there. Yeah, Ryan was there for a little bit. And then Micah helped out at the last K-State match, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I <laughs> but, I mean, and the players really – but my point was the players embraced him afterwards. I mean, he, he clearly oh, meant yeah. a lot to the team. Yeah. That's my point. Sorry, I wasn't dragging it out a different way. Um, but the, he clearly meant a lot to this group. Um, what what are you going to, first of all, miss about 
just what he meant to the team and yeah. as far as like an energy. And well, Micah's like just really an infectious personality. Everyone lo- loves Micah. So mm-hmm. the players loved Micah. The coaches love Micah. He's just a really good guy. Um, so you're going to miss that in the gym, the energy that he brought. And then he did a lot. You know, his primary role was in the gym for us. Um, he did a lot of hitting, you know. He took over Tom. Yeah, he was yeah. the the simulation and practice and yeah. different things. So, um, so that will for sure be missed. And you know, but we're thrilled for him. That's you know, people come and volunteer, and it's a hard gig. You know, you're barely you're scraping by, and uh, the goal is to get him a head coach or not. I mean, a, a another Division One job is mm-hmm. what you know he was shooting for, and so and he really wanted to stay in Omaha. So this was really a blessing, and I know you and I was really pleased with him, and you know, obviously we're rooting for him. You turned out some. You know, assistance here and there. What do you see out of Micah as far as the kind of coach he can be, possibly? You know, each each different assistant that we've had from a volunteer or full time assistants have different strengths. Micah's strengths is he's a relator. Mm-hmm. You know, he just is someone. The, so he's going to be able to really relate to recruits. That's going to be a strength of his. Um, you know, he's someone in the gym that can do a lot of things physically. So that's going to be a good thing for him running drills and things along those lines. So. Um, you know, and I think Micah's voice wasn't huge here, but I think at UNO and in, in club, he really had a voice uh, in the gym quite a bit. So I think as he continues to get his confidence in the, in the gym, that's going to be huge for him too. Now, you've obviously filled that role. Who is, I guess, first of all, who's taking Micah's volunteer role? And then you've expanded your staff a little bit here. Yeah, we have a volunteer. Drew Davis is coming in. Um, he plays at Limestone uh, College out east. He's been a volunteer at College of Charleston one year. Um, so we're really excited about him. He's going to move to Omaha this summer and then, um, and then jump in with us. He, I think he was, uh, you know, I've watched some film on him. He's a, a good volleyball player. We really wanted someone that could play in the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're excited about him. And then, yeah, we've added, we're adding a GA position. Um, it's going to be a video tech position, um, really keyed on scouting and things along those lines. And so, um, we've hired a young woman named Anna, and I always mess up her last name. I'm, I'm, I'm actually pulling it up. Vandevort, that's her last name. She, we'll say, she'll get time to learn it. Right. <laughs> Anna was, um, I've gotten to know her because she's been at KU. She's been a student at KU, but she's done all their data volley, so okay. their, their video stuff at Kansas for the last few years. And we play Kansas so often. We interacted. I think her brother went to Creighton, and they know. Michael? Uh, he lived with I think Doug McDermott. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So so she's got some ties here, and she'd said a couple of years ago, you know, I'd love to get my master's, and I was like, well, we don't have a GA. Long story short, it's worked out, and we're stoked. And she's spent the last spring, all semester, with USA Volleyball doing this. Oh, really? So I think you know, again, when we sat down at the end of the season and said, where can we get better? We feel like this is an area the volleyball is going to. Most teams are going to an open exchange, so you're gonna have video of everybody. Mm-hmm. So how you utilize that video, I think can really enhance our program and and getting someone that has a grasp of different things that we can utilize I think will be huge and then like we've done the last few years we have a volunteer director of operations coming in um, we've got a young woman that is going to Wayne State she actually doesn't live in Wayne she's doing their online sports management program um, uh, online and she lives out east and wants to be a volleyball coach and she's going to come and live here and be here for the semester and do her practicum. And I, I've yet to meet her yet. We've talked on the phone a lot, and we've emailed, and she is a go-getter, and really? I'm stoked about her. So really excited about the staff, and then obviously retaining uh, Ryan and Angie again. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
one thing I'm curious about as far as the dynamic of how you put a staff together, because every recruit, and I mean every recruit, you bring in year after year, just, I mean, since I started covering the team, obviously, has the culture is the first word out of their mouth when they say, why Creighton, like when that question gets asked. What do you look for in coaching? I mean, is that is that still the same part of it? Do you still want camaraderie within a staff? Do you want to make sure. sure everybody gets along? Yeah, I mean, I just think um, tension, you know, if, if you have tension within a staff, the players will feel that immediately. Really? So I think, you know, the first thing that I look for in a coach is character. And I, I that's not a, I'm not just saying that. Like You're it, not it, just saying that. Everybody I'm, says it. You, no, like I, I want someone that I'm going to trust um, and that they're going to trust me and that they're going to do things the right way, you know. I mean, I think you know we're not a program that's going to cheat and do things, you know. Uh, uh, so anyway, that's the number one thing that we look for, and, and we want to get someone that we're going to like. Yeah. I mean, you spend so much time with these people. But, I mean, people. It, sound, I, it's, it sounds simple that you want to like your coworkers, but that's not always guaranteed. But... Right, right, right. Oh, there's been time. I mean, don't – I mean – you know, I'm a pretty strong personality. There'll yeah. be days that they don't like me at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but when we leave the, you know, and we'll duke it out. I mean, I we try to have an environment that we can argue productively, not mean-spirited, but, like, we disagree a lot. Ryan's a strong personality. Angie's always the one that gets along. Everyone likes Angie the best. Yeah. And then Ryan, <laughs> Ryan and I fight a lot, but Which is Ryan funny because she's the national champ. She's the... Right. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan and I... Um, but it's I mean, but neither of us hold grudges. We yeah. can we can argue, and then from what done. I've seen of it, it's it's from a competitive nature. For sure, it's, it's not, not it's not it's not agenda driven. Like you're not playing my kid enough. Like oh, where no. the things that divide a staff that way. No, I mean, it might be what defense do we want to play? I exactly. mean, we had against the Tex at Texas, we stayed up all night arguing how we should play our defense, mm-hmm. and uh, I think I won, and I think we lost. So obviously, we didn't make the right decision. As <laughs> <laughs> you can admit that. Um, one thing that you did this offseason that I'm not sure a lot of people know about, but you wrote a very in-depth piece on kind of what you thought some things needed to be done in recruiting as far as how to adjust that calendar to make it you know better for the athletes and better for you know their families as far as getting them. I mean, it was really detailed. I guess, first of all, what motivated you to do that? Because obviously you spent a lot of time on it. It was very in-depth and just... For the people that don't, that didn't read it, what are some of your, you know, base ideas as far as what you want to see changes made in recruiting? So, our recruiting calendar for Division One—it's not all divisions, just Division One—is we can recruit most of the year. So, you know, our primary recruiting time started MLK weekend, Martin Luther King weekend, all the way through the end of April, and then we'd have three weeks off in May, and then could go all summer basically. Um, and then during the fall too. So really minimal times off. And what that, in my opinion, is leading to is tournaments all throughout the year because college coaches can come watch, Division One college coaches can come watch, and Division Two has less even than us. So it's really that coaches can come out all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it leads to high school season ending and club season literally starting, in some cases, the next day. Um, because they want to make sure that they can practice for a couple weeks before tournaments start in January. Um, My argument is that 
And, and I should say, there's tons of coaches that feel this way. It, you know, what spurred me to do this is, as coaches, so many people were talking about it. Mm-hmm. And so how do you then take all the talk and try to make some change? So my changes aren't that radical. And in fact, the article, you know, uh, what may be proposed, you know, we're in talks with the Big East. Um, we have a proposal and we need the administration to kind of pass it. Um, won't be even as limiting It'll be less limiting than I even proposed. But we'd like to push back that start date till President's Weekend. So that would give them another month off. And the hope is is that then the, what the student-athletes would see, the high schoolers would see, is that when they end their high school season, maybe they're getting three weeks off before they get into club. Because we are seeing so many more pre-existing injuries. Mm-hmm. These players have no rest. They go, and, and their high school coach and their club coach both feel that they're the most important. In some cases, some work great together. Um, and they're both so important, you know, and, and obviously I don't want to alienate high school or club coaches. They are so critical to our sport, but I do want to help our uh, young athletes get rest. And then the other benefit is we are losing coaches. We are losing particularly female coaches. I think, you know, um, you know, I, I get, I have a lot of articles run just because I am one of few, I think I was the only female in the elite eight, you yeah. know, so we need more females coaching, but we're losing them because it's too hard to have a family. Um, and we lose male coaches for the same reason. That just doesn't get the publicity. But yes. so, so limiting that calendar, you know, would at least give maybe a couple more weeks where people aren't on the road. I mean, we are on the road a lot. And, um, and I have a staff that goes on the road, which is fortunate, too, that we split it. But, um, you know, if we can limit that calendar. And then if you look at basketball, basketball's calendar is way, way shorter than volleyball's. They, they kill it for short amounts of time a couple times a year, right. and that's, that's their calendar. So, so there's some precedent set, and it still wouldn't be nearly as limited as the basketball calendar. Um, but we'll see if it gets some traction. So, well, one thing I'm curious about is, from your perspective, when you go into evaluate an athlete, and then you kind of key on them as far as that's a target. And then you, you learn more about them and you realize they're playing volleyball this long, then they're jumping into basketball, or they're playing softball, or like, how do you evaluate a multi-sport athlete from the, from the perspective of wear and tear and how much you know the, their body can even take? By the time they get to college, will they be dealing with chronic joint you know, injuries the whole time. The multi-sport athlete problem is not is not the problem, in my opinion. The playing the multiple sports, I think, is so much better for really? their bodies. I mean, there's so much research. I actually just had read another article yesterday about that. You're working different muscle groups. Um, there, you know, that's the big thing, the burnout issue. So I want a kid that's a multi-sport athlete. And if you talk to most coaches, that's what they say. So. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the the Jaylees, the Kinseys, the Marissas. I'm sure I'm forgetting several. Mar- Brittany Lawrence. Those kids, uh, we were attracted to because they played basketball or did track and things along those lines. Where you see more injuries are the kids that are just doing one sport, so they're working the exact same muscles all the time. Interesting. So I mean, when you when you uh, get a kid who is only volleyball focused, and like you said, they're playing constantly. Um, how do you manage the wear and tear of that player? Do you when you, when they get on your campus because volleyball, although it's you know you're playing on half a court and you're not necessarily, I mean you're not necessarily running up and down like basketball. There's a lot of quick twitch going on. Oh, and you're flying, I mean, all, flying over the place, all over the diving. I mean diving, yeah. jumping, yep. landing. 
Yeah. I mean, it's got to be hard on, like you said, the same joints that are being bodies, worked on. For sure. You know, it's case by case. You know, I think one thing that we really try to be cognizant of is rest, um, whether they have an injury or not. So we, I mean, you know this, we're, we usually give two days off a week. Right. That's very atypical. Um, you know, so, so we pry monitor and I, you know, I know a lot of programs monitor bodies, but we're really locked into that with, along with what we're doing with strength and conditioning and, and you know, we kind of work collaboratively with, with them and, and athletic training, but it's really case by case on, on each player of, do they have a pre-existing injury? Are they healthy if they're healthy? You know, and then you want to c- cultivate an environment. This is probably the biggest thing is that if their body is hurting, that they feel like they can say something. Because if you make them feel scared that they're going to be in trouble or if I say something, I'm not going to get to play or, you know, things along those lines, um, I think you do yourself a disservice because they'll play till they can't go and then then you're really in trouble. Yeah, then you're done. Um, Speaking of the people that aren't going to get any rest this summer, but, I mean, it's for a good reason. Um, Jaylee Winters, Brittany Witt, and Taryn Cloth are obviously... Well, they'll get rest. <laughs> we actually have sat down with them and talked about their rest, See, so they will get rest. You'd hate Jaylee's answer on that, because she doesn't want to rest. <laughs> no, she's she ready doesn't. to go. She's ready to play tomorrow. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they obviously... Jaylee's on Team Europe, Brittany on Team Thailand, and Taryn's going to be running around the U.S. handling the rest of it. Right. Um, I guess, what does that mean to have three of your top players be not only highly regarded in your own gym, but obviously throughout the country when coaches are bringing these kids in for these tryouts and getting a look at a wide range of players, and they're saying, yeah, those those three are definitely among the elite. Yeah. Um, I think, first of all, I think they all deserve it. Um, and it's exciting. You know, as you know, we've never had any players that have been selected for the international tours. Um, with is leaving today, March 19th, she's, or May, what month are we in? May, May, May 19th, yes. <laughs> she leaves for Thailand today. Um, Jaylee will go in July, and Taryn goes in June. So um, the the negative with it is they take a lot of swings. I mean, mm-hmm. and obviously Witt won't be swinging, but, you know, she'll play a lot of volleyball. Um, but it is a finite amount of time, and we've talked to all of them about, you know, Jaylee will then come back and not swing until season starts. Taryn, we've talked about her rest. You know, Witt's going to have more more rest, and she's got a different position. Usually the libero position isn't quite as tough on the body because you're not jumping and swinging. Um, not to say that it's not hard. Yeah, Kate Owens going to storm in this office right I now. I know, <laughs> and I don't mean that like Witt flies around. I mean, it's going to be hard on her body too, but usually they bounce back a little bit well, mm-hmm. better unless she gets nailed in the eye with the knee. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, they deserve it. I think we have players that are, you know, these are players that want to be on the national team type level, mm-hmm. want to play after college, and are definitely capable of doing it. When you when you talk to them in private about the opportunity, do you get the same, the same look, the same sense that you get when you talk to them about Final Fours and things like that? Are they going into this, like, um, motivated? Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah. I, I mean, again, these guys have huge aspirations beyond college so this is the opportunity for national team coaches to see them so in their mind it to some degree is a little bit of a tryout type situation so um they're motivated they're excited they'll make a lot of friends you know it'll be a good experience for them kirsten thank you so much for the time i know i think we ran a little bit long on what i wanted to do but uh, there was just so much to go over with your team um I know you, we can't talk about the fall schedule yet, but you've got a gauntlet set up for them coming up here 
Um, I'm sure that'll get released soon. We'll be able to dissect that a little bit. Yeah. But I do appreciate because I know you're still busy and still doing things. Um, sitting down here and having a conversation. We appreciate people talking about Creighton Volleyball next, so <laughs> thanks for having me. It was my pick for the best moment of the season on Creighton Sports Hour, so... All right. Everyone said Marcus Foster. I said no. Creighton, Kansas was by far the best. So. That's a good man. All right. Thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks. Thanks a lot for that interview. It's always great to hear from Coach Booth, and, I mean, gosh, if you're a Jays fan of any sports, volleyball uh, included, obviously, it's going to be extremely interesting to track her team next year because they bring so much back. And like you said, that schedule, although it's not officially released, is proving to be quite the gauntlet. So nothing that, that she hasn't already scheduled up for her teams in the past, but seems like it's going to be a great mix of returning roster, really challenging non-conference schedule uh, ahead of what they hope to be as another NCAA tournament. Um, I mean, Another NCAA tournament appearance would be a minimum for this program now, which still I know they've had such a great track record lately, but that's still there's still a little tinge of craziness when I say that because of what my first experiences were of creating volleyball. So just talk about a program that has just come out of nowhere and it's entirely uh, in part to or in thanks to Coach Booth and what she's been able to create the the program and the um, kind of the aura that's down there around that team. So great interview as always with her. We really thank coach Booth for taking the time and going long there. Um, Want to thank our podcast sponsor tonight, Lawler's custom sportswear. That's where Matt yells. Thank you, Lawler's. Thank you, Lawler's. There you go on cue. Um, And most importantly, want to thank everybody that listened tonight listen to any of our podcasts before and are helping spread the word we've had a nice little uh stretch here our last three or four podcasts have grown and grown and grown and really appreciate all the jays fans tuning in we know that you guys are really interested in the recruiting so we're we're trying to keep joey uh in the loop on the show as well so it's been a nice addition and matt all of the great insights and interviews that you bring and your connections with the program uh, really pay off for these long-form interviews. I think people really appreciate it. Um, You know, we're really excited because we've been able to take some of those long-form interviews and uh, Tom Nemitz, one of the WBR founders and owners, he is currently putting the finishing touches. He is the GOAT. He's the WBR GOAT. Um, Absolutely. Matt, uh, Tom is putting the finishing touches on a 2016-2017 Creighton Sports <clears throat> yearbook. Fully designed. Um, it takes some of the best stuff that was written for the site. takes uh, some of these interviews that you've done for the podcast and transcribe those highlights into the yearbook. It takes uh, photography from Adam Struer. And Mike Spomer and Brad Williams, like legitimately three of the best photographers, sports or not, in yeah. the Omaha and Midwest area. And we're lucky enough to go. All those guys are photographers. Um, the, the book is full of exclusive photos from them and some exclusive pieces that you've written and that Tom's written for the book as well. So you and I have both seen proofs of this. And legitimately, I know a large number of our WBR followers 
bought the book that we um, published a couple of years ago when the uh, the the athletic department was switching from the Valley to the Big East and Doug McDermott and co made quite the run through the Big East that first season. Uh, this blows that out of the water, I think, just certainly for the number of sports covered and the um, depth that the book goes to um, for each of those sports. But, I mean, you just think about how successful uh, so many programs were this season that if there's ever oh. been a season that has um, deserved its own nice um, – yearbook to commemorate it's it's this one so i know things didn't go exactly i mean think how about people... think about i mean go think ahead. about men's soccer sweet 16 uh men's soccer sweet 16 creighton volleyball you know undefeated big east won the regular season won the conference tournament uh made it to the elite eight for the first time in program history uh the epic match at kansas which is still one of the i mean oh. the probably the best sporting event i've ever attended in my life um, just from the how close it was, the energy in the building, the stakes that were, you know, what both teams playing for a Sweet 16 bid, the fact that it was against the number four team in the country, um, you know, just all the – it checked all the boxes. Um, you know, women's basketball won a conference title, regular season conference title, their first one in Big East, joining the Big East. They won an NCAA tournament game out in Corvallis. Uh, men's basketball ran all the way to the Big East title game in, in Madison Square Garden, the mecca of college basketball. Um, baseball, regular season title. After starting the year 1-11 with a bunch of Bayou Blue Jays, you know, they, they grew up over the year as the year went on and won a regular season title. And, you know, their season's not done yet. They have this weekend that we're going to chronicle as well and see how far they can take this, and that'll be in the yearbooks. So, I mean, as far as a year where you just want to kind of – um, you know, for a Creighton fan, just have one piece that you can kind of commemorate all of the successes in a, in a pinnacle year for the athletic department and all the teams that are in it and the players and the coaches and the staff and all that. I mean, if you want something that's going to make you, I guess, proud as a Blue Jay fan, I don't know that there's something better than what's about to be released here because I've seen it. Like you said, it looks incredible. Tom is amazing. I mean, Tom is pound for pound the best at putting at creative design, at putting all this stuff together around. I mean, not just WBR, anywhere. I don't know who I'd trust. I mean, the Blue Day Rewinds, the Polyfill Primers, the the morning tomorrow or the, the morning afters for Creighton basketball. I mean, he is he's one of the most underappreciated in the city. I don't even think it's even close. It's almost as if he's a creative director at a major ad agency and marketing agency <laughs> in his day, in his spare, in his spare time. No, no, no. Yeah, exactly. You know, we've, got, we, we've got a deep bench at WBR, and, and Tom oh, man. is amazing at what he does, and he's quick to point oh. out in his uh, foreword, his intro in the book, that it wouldn't happen, though, if we didn't have three great photographers. It wouldn't happen – if Matt, you weren't entrenched in the uh, in the coverage of the department, and if we hadn't worked so hard these last gosh, now it's like seven years, six seven years. To, yeah, about to be uh, eight. You know it's right? been a long time when you've lost count. So, um, yep, that's that's the key. That's you can't key. know the number off the top of your head. It's been a long right. time. Right. It's like I don't remember if I'm 35 or 36. So that means I've been doing it uh, long enough. So. 
yeah, I mean, we'll have more information about how you can get your hands on this. We're still playing around with some with some options, but we'll certainly have a plan in place by the time we podcast next. And we will be all over our, our social media channels and on the site, too, promoting it. So don't you worry. You'll see us promote the heck out of it when it's ready. But I just wanted to give everybody listening a little tease about what's coming because it's definitely something you're going to squirrel a couple bucks away for to uh, to pick up, especially if you've got Jays fans that you're looking for gifts for at any time. Mm-hmm. So I know it's like a Christmas in July type scenario, but that's fine. You can make those purchases now, too. So Yeah. Exactly. All right, so we thanked Lawlers. I'll thank Matt. Joey had to jump off, so we thank Joey. And we thank all of you for listening to episode 26. We hope you join us for episode 27 and beyond. For Joey Tempo and Matt DeMarinas, I'm Brian Tott signing off tonight with a hearty Go Jays.